0: This episode of Speakeasy is brought to you by Hermitage Northern Virginia and Tech Painting. This episode of Speakeasy is brought to you by Hermitage Northern Virginia. Hermitage Northern Virginia is a nonprofit continuing care retirement community located in Alexandria. Since its founding in 1962, Hermitage has become part of the fabric of the Alexandria community. The faith-based senior living community has a 62-year legacy of service and leadership. Hermitage prides itself in enhancing the peace of mind of residents and their families. It continues to reinforce its mission of helping residents celebrate life, not years, and enriching life's journey along the way. Learn more about Hermitage at hermitagenova.org. Welcome to Speakeasy, an Alexandria Times podcast. I'm your host, Cody Melleklein, reporter at the Times, and today I'm joined by a man whose work you've probably seen all over Alexandria, Teddy Kim. He's a developer whose work has transformed parts of Alexandria, bringing vibrancy to buildings defined by vacancy. He's a principal at Avanti Holdings Group, and he's more than likely responsible for some of your favorite spots in Alexandria, including Chop Shop Taco, Grateful Kitchen Company, Marlow Inc., The People's Drug, and many more. Welcome to the show, Teddy.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I think we we've kind of based this show around talking with people who are at the core of Alexandria and people who have lived in Alexandria for quite a while, who have become an established part of the community. You've actually been in Alexandria pretty much your whole life. You were born and raised here, right? That's right. Yeah, born in Alexandria Hospital and
1: and started out at uh, St. Mary's and then went into MacArthur and on to T.C.
0: Yeah, a native, a native Alexandrian. That's right. Yeah. You grew up during the 80s, correct? Right. I was born in 1980. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Alexandria at at the time. What was the city like at the time?
1: Yeah, it was great. I mean, over uh, on the Fort Ward side, we had Bradley Shopping Center. um, And at that time, we had G.C. Murphy's, which was kind of the anchor of it. Um, And that was some of the inspiration behind the people's drug, that that memory. But um, in my neighborhood in particular, we had about eight families that uh, all were similar in terms of economic uh, class and, and, and whatnot, but a lot of diversity, and uh, we had about 10 kids all the same age that we could go out and, you know, explore our neighborhood with and, and, and the city. So uh, you know, my memories were going outside after school, playing uh, touch football on the street. With, you know, this is kind of when the Nerf football first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, biking around on these BMX bikes at that time, you'd put the cards in your bike to make it sound like a motorcycle, um, and exploring Fort Ward Park that was a lot of fun too. You know, seeing all the Civil War stuff, but there was a creek down there, and we'd catch crayfish and um, just had a lot of fun until until they
0: called us in for dinner. So it, it was great memories. How much of that has uh, has informed the work you do now? Obviously, you said. The, the central idea behind people's drug was sort of influenced by some of your memories. How much of your work now is influenced by what Alexandria was for you growing up?
1: I mean, it it, it definitely is a big part of everything we're doing. I mean, what we're trying to do as Avanti um, is is create community, that sense of community. And, and what I try to do personally is, is kind of the best that I can do. And that's influenced by by growing up in a diverse upbringing. I mean, some of that comes from my father being Korean. Um, and, and with that, I mean, my parents were divorced. He was a building engineer for Charles E. Smith. So he managed uh, Skyline, Newport Village, Concord Village. So those, those uh, buildings in particular have a, a very diverse population in them. And then going to school in the, the public school system here, especially T.C. Williams, I mean, we had a ton of diversity. Um, we we had cultural diversity, but we also had a lot of economic diversity. So I've seen how that creates uh, beautiful things. It creates beautiful relationships. It creates a lot of understanding. It creates a lot of um, innovation. So with that, you know, we're trying to embrace all those differences. We're we're, we're trying to um, fit in to what we've got going on, which is you know, a lot of different cultures. I think at TC at the time, we had a 100 different countries represented. So that has always been something I viewed as a an advantage, especially when I went to Virginia Tech, which is somewhat of a monoculture down there, and especially interfacing with kids from Centerville and, and Chantilly and Fairfax. I mean, you see how, um, you know, kind of isolated they are with with whatever they're comfortable with. I mean, it's just kind of one vein that they're accustomed to. So knowing how to to kind of deal with differences and um, compromise and all those things, I think have been great advantages. and And that's what we try to do is we try to create places that everyone can enjoy.
0: Did you know in high school that this was an area of interest for you—kind of development, real estate, or even architecture.
1: Architecture, I was. I mean, my my mother studied art at VCU. Um, she was a yoga teacher and a waitress growing up, um, and then my father was a building engineer. So I grew up in a very mechanical uh, world. On that, you know, on the weekends and and some of the evenings, and then a very. Um, she also, my mother also taught Montessori for a little bit, so you know thinking outside of the box was something that was always uh you know rewarded or 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 whatever the right word would be but the um architecture to me was something that combined both of those so there's some math there that you get to see visually um there's also the the tangible part of you know success in the sense of you you have a finished product whereas some pieces of art you know just kind of keep going on and on and on and on um So I grew up wanting to be an architect, and actually um, I learned computers very early, though. So I was about 13 when I got my first computer. It was a hand-me-down, and I grew up when the computers were 10 megahertz, 33 megahertz, 66 megahertz, you know, Pentium 1, Pentium 2, that type of talk, uh, 386, 486. So... The guidance counselors at TC, or one of them, said, why don't you you kind of explore that? And then at TC, we had an AutoCAD class. So in AutoCAD, um, the biggest issue at that time was the computers wouldn't start up because the CMOS battery would always die. So because of my mechanical mind, um, I was able to jump that with some paperclip, the the teacher there, uh, Mr. Ramsey, he suggested I go work for Electro Steam Generator Corporation when I was 14. So I was converting all their electrical paper um, plans into AutoCAD. So at 14 years old. At 14, yeah. So with that, I mean, this is back when, um, you know, the, the condition, the work environment was the boss Ralph Aspling is smoking a cigar, blowing it in your face. I'm working on a, a piece of plywood that's held up by like three inch pipe nobody really respected the computer at that point. But um, I, I had a natural ability with it. So the guidance counselor suggested that I go into computer science. Um, and I told him I want to be an architect. And he said, you don't want to do that. There's no money in it. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'd, you know, I, I think I'm going to need some money to live. But um, once I got to Virginia Tech, the first class was this is a mouse, this is a keyboard, this is a monitor. And it, it really didn't grab my attention at all. And that's where our, somebody uh, one of the counselors there suggested i explore urban planning and um that that was a really
0: good fit what was it about urban planning that sort of appealed to you or just fit seemed like a natural fit it's obviously got connections to architecture and that kind of way of thinking about things? Was it that aspect of it that you kind of gravitated towards? Uh,
1: So my focus uh, in urban planning was more public policy, um, urban affairs and planning. Uh, So it wasn't any studio classes, but what it really did is is give me a vocabulary to um, kind of explain what I was feeling when I was in different cities. So I always grew up kind of... um, with that uh, uh, elite Alexandria mindset that it's the best city in the the world, or at least in the country. I didn't, you know, necessarily know why that was, you know, what made it better than Fairfax. I knew that when I went to Fairfax, something inside me changed and it didn't feel like I was home anymore. So as I went through these courses, I, I started to realize that there was a lot of Guidelines, design guidelines that that were uh, implemented in the city of Alexandria. You know how the sidewalk was designed, the block, the grid system. You know, and, and learning about that, the connectivity of it was really what spoke to me in Alexandria. And then learning these terms and these principles really made urban planning exciting. So as I would come back up, I mean, I actually put about ninety thousand miles on a car in ten months. I mean, I was basically commuting to Virginia Tech, and I'd come back up and and explore these new concepts I was learning and I'd see oh wow this is why I like this part of town versus you know driving out to Tyson's or something like that and now Tyson's is different and they're doing a great job and all that stuff but in 1985 Tyson's wasn't anything exciting (laughs) so it it really gave me a vocabulary to explain you know my emotions better and that was that
0: was a freeing feeling. Yeah it it sounds like it helped you understand a little bit more about a place you had known all of your life, which is interesting. And it seems like it helped you externalize a lot of stuff you had already internalized about living in Alexandria.
1: Right, absolutely. I mean, just when you touched on my childhood, I mean, being able to walk down to my neighbor's house on a sidewalk, you know, that, that, that I didn't realize was something that not a lot of jurisdictions have. You know, a lot of places when you go out to Fairfax don't have any sidewalk. And then in urban planning, you kind of learn... Um, what that could do to, to the development of a child, you know, having their parents, having them to rely on their parents for every move that they make, you know, and, and, and what that leads to, you know, that, that freedom or that um, responsibility that I learned at a very young age is something that I think allowed me to get ahead of, of some of my peers.
0: After you graduated from Virginia Tech, did you come back to Alexandria?
1: Yeah, I, I was working with my father, doing some air conditioning work. Um, so I was commuting a lot. And then when I got back here, I, um, I was basically living in my mother's basement and I said, I don't really want to do this. So, hmm. uh, I started looking around and I found a house that was for sale by owner. Uh, at, at that time, it's right near Braddock Metro, which, you know, right now that's where we have a lot of our development focus and, um, activation focus but at that time in 04 it was still a lot of warehouses so nobody really thought it was a good buy but I thought you know anything's better than my mom's basement so at the time anybody that finished tech went to work for Booz Allen Hamilton or Countrywide so I called one of my friends at Countrywide and said hey can you give me this loan you know he said well how much do you make I said 30 grand a year he said sure no problem so the house was about 280 grand and then five days before we're supposed to close, you know, the, he says, oh, sorry, you're not approved. So that's when I kind of got into real estate and um, really became more interested in buying this house, figuring out a way to, to overcome this
0: challenge. And that's that's kind of how it happened. So it was re- the inciting factor for you is really understanding how to fix a, a problem? Yeah, I, I, that, that's probably part
1: of it, you know. Being faced with the challenge and then overcoming it. Like I said, being born in 1980, I'm the year of the monkey. So that's kind of, you know, with that is uh, cleverness. And using your mind a little bit, I guess, would be some attributes of that sign, that zodiac. But yeah, I think uh, uh, that's always been interesting
0: is problem solving. From that first house, um, where did you go from there in terms of your, your career in real estate?
1: So with that first house, I, you know, again, the bank jerked me around and I was supposed to close, couldn't close. So it took me about 90 days to figure that process out, you know, what you should say, what you shouldn't say and, and kind of having some uh some guidance. Uh Clay Greenway was a mortgage broker that I met and then he introduced me to some other financial products, you know, that there's a, a whole another banking system out there outside of countrywide. <laughs> So we found a product that worked. Uh, I was able to buy the house. I improved the house. Um, At that time, I borrowed money from uh, from my roommate, my college roommate. So he let me, Carlo, he let me put some money on his credit card and we fixed it up. And with this product I found in New York, it didn't have any seasoning requirements. So I was able to refi it based on the improvements. And I pulled out about 100,000 and I did it about three more times. And then within called 16 months or so, I was a, onto my first commercial property, which happened to be
0: Electro Steam Generator Corp. Yeah, what what was that like? What was it like returning, I guess, to a place you'd worked as at as a teenager, returning there as someone who can now kind of re-energize that building, kind of bring life back to it?
1: Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was, uh, there's definitely a lot of, um, Personal accomplishment with doing something like that. You know, you, the cliche would be, you know, you start out as a, a secretary and you come back behind the business. You know, it's kind of like one of those things, I guess. But um, uh, it was also very helpful because when I, again, when I was working there, I was working on the second floor mezzanine. And that second floor mezzanine had been torn out. But because it was there not too long ago and I could show, um, the different parties where it used to be, we were able to, um, you know, construct the building and convert it from warehouse to, to office space. So that was very helpful,
0: having that intimate knowledge of, of the building. What about that process kind of appeals to you? Is it the creative challenge? Is it the idea of re-injecting life into a building that kind of doesn't have it anymore? What, what, what about that process has appealed to you?
1: On the business side, um, it, it seems to be more business and less emotion in terms of the transaction itself, um, which which I find interesting, I guess, because of the fact that there's a lot of art in business. There's a lot of creativity in it when you talk about how to structure a deal. And then when you talk about something bigger, it's that these commercial properties are typically impacting A lot more people than just one family or one individual. So back to that philosophy of doing the best that I can do. It's really about doing the best that I can do for as most people as I can do. You know, so everything I'm trying to do is just the best that
0: I can do for as many people as I can do. Is that process creatively challenging though? Like taking how do you I guess how do you balance taking a a building like the steam generating plant and maintaining, I guess, the the history and the, the former life of it, but also bringing something new to it and kind of looking at the possibilities of what it could be? How do you balance those two ideas?
1: For me, it kind of comes from, it, it's it's almost, I guess, my skill set or second nature. And I think a lot of it comes from, from all my travels. I've been to, uh, I think, 58 countries now. And so I see a lot of things that people are doing in other markets and other countries and other cities so f- in particular an electro steam generator that was that just kind of came from my trips to Los Angeles and going to LA and seeing how they were making these warehouses really cool you know and some of that's just you know that that vein of energy you're tapping into you know it's the west coast it's 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 uh, it's a little bit more laid back. But if you get into branding and all this, even if you get into something corporate like a Starbucks, I mean, they're using different woods in L.A. versus New York versus D.C. You know, so just picking up on those, you know, your subconscious mind is processing all this information way more than your conscious mind. I think the... The stat is like two million bytes of information per second in your subconscious mind, and 40 bytes of information per second in your conscious mind. So just being around that, it starts to to create you, you know, a new you, it starts to impact you. So bringing that back was was pretty easy. It just kind of fit. And then um, then you tap into kind of personal things. So that building in particular, my grandfather. Um, Joe Oglesby, He was a uh, career Navy, so he served on uh, two destroyers in World War II. So if you look at that building, there's a we strapped a glass staircase to the outside um, to create that second floor uh, egress and access. And so that, that kind of mimics you know the, the tower of a ship. And then if you look at the steel beam that, that kind of creates that canopy, frames that front entrance, I mean, that looks like the bow it's got this nautical theme, but again, it's over, overlaid on top of a lot of influence that I experienced or got from LA.
0: I'm sure the appeal of a project like the steam generator company was that it, you had a personal connection to it, but some of these other projects, what draws you to a certain site, to a certain project? What are you looking for?
1: It seems that, uh, our niche is, I mean, outside of, of focusing on a specific kind of uh asset type at a specific kind of purchase price i mean it seems that our niche is stuff that that, that's kind of been with an individual or a family or a group for a while and they need a little bit of help in in transitioning that and so the conversation gets going um so Almost all our projects are are projects that have taken years and years of relationship building to get to. So while we have bought some stuff that's been marketed and and whatnot, I mean, a lot of the stuff we've bought was never marketed. And those were just kind of based on this trust that we've built. And, And I guess going back to doing the best that we can do, best that I can do, I mean, that's being a steward to the community, being a steward to the area, to the city. And, and what we call kind of responsible growth. I mean, um, you know, some projects might be more lucrative, is one thing, but we decide to do something that we feel at least is, is probably better for the community.
0: This episode of Speakeasy is also brought to you by Tech Painting. Tech Painting always strives to provide the best service possible for its customers. With a keen attention to even the smallest details, Tech Painting has earned a reputation for providing high quality work. Quality craftsmanship is an integral part of what Tech Painting does because employees see themselves not as painters, but as skilled craftsmen. Tech Painting's company philosophy and its painter's commitment to providing outstanding professional painting services is why over 90% of the company's business is from repeat customers and word-of-mouth referrals. Visit Tech Painting's website at techpainting.com or call today at 703-684-7702 free estimate. See firsthand why customers keep coming back. How do you convince an owner who's obviously had an investment, a long term investment in a property to hand it over to you guys? I have to imagine it's it's a hard it's a hard sell, especially if they've owned it for a long time.
1: Right, right. I mean that's why uh, it's not a sale. You know it's not a, it's I'm not selling them on anything. Yeah. I'm allowing I'm always allowing I'm presenting what the situation is the way I see it and it's kind of open book and that's kind of how the trust happens. I don't view it as a sale, I just view it as being there. And and it does take a lot of patience. It's it's it may be cliche but
0: the best situations where everybody wins. Can you walk me through how that worked with Mason Social because it sounds like it was a very interesting uh, an interesting process kind of forming that relationship with the owner.
1: Sure. Yeah, the Nino is his name, and he's owned I think 99 properties throughout oh, wow. this, throughout the city. He doesn't own that many at this point, but he's he's uh, a great resource when when asking about what this place used to be, and especially Parker Gray. He's he's done a lot of transactions um, through that area. Growing up again, going to TC uh, Mason Social was Esmeraldas, and that was kind of a uh, you know, a hangout spot for us, even though we weren't supposed to be there. But um, it, it wasn't uh, a populated area. That's back when all the warehouses were there. So that went out of business or closed, I think, for various reasons. And it sat there for a couple years empty. And then that's right when I bought my house in the, in the neighborhood. Um, and as I bought my house in 04 to 06 I started to see you know more people showing up more people walking around baby strollers all types of changes happening and I thought it'd be great if there was some kind of retail outlet some kind of anchor so I called the sign that was a handwritten sign that said for sale I said hey I'm, I'm interested you know and he said all right well I own the gas station down the street why don't you come and talk to me so I go and talk to him and he he tells me uh, about his history, how he came to the country, and this lasted about an hour, and then uh, I said, okay, you know, that's very interesting. I shared some of my story, and I said, do you want to talk about the building? And he said, well, no, come back when you have some time. So I said, okay. So I came back two, three days later, and and we kind of did it again, and then at the end, again, come back when you have some time. So this kind of continued like this for uh, about a year and a half, and I didn't mind. I mean, it was you know, it was great to, to meet somebody that had that history, that had that knowledge about uh, the area. I greatly appreciate the connection to, to kind of the, the generation before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where we can learn a lot. I think we have to embrace that. It was just a, a process, and then we became friendly and friends. Um, and then finally, my friend Chad, who we, I've known since middle school, he came along and said, hey, you know, I'm interested in this too. So that's when we decided to create something way more upscaled. And then finally, uh, Nino gave us the opportunity to open up Mason Social. And then, you know, our first year open, we got Best New Bar in the Washingtonian. I moved on to focus on smaller concepts, um, but Chad, Larry, and Justin still own it and are doing a great job. And I, I think it's a great amenity for the neighborhood. So you were, you were,
0: you knew Chad and those guys prior? Because they, I know they grew up in Alexandria as well. You guys were friends prior to that?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Chad and I met each other at GW Middle School. And, oh, wow. Uh, we, we, you know, we, <laughs> we got in a lot of trouble together and had a lot of fun together. Um, and so I think that's also back to your com- question or comment about, uh, you know, growing up in Alexandria. I mean, these relationships that I've forged or created or, or had since elementary are still very strong. A lot of my friends are friends that I've known for 25 years. And I think that speaks to the quality
0: of relationship that you cre- create in the city of Alexandria. Talk to me a little bit about um, Avanti Holdings. When did that come about? What was the, I guess, what was the, the vision for that? And how did that whole thing come together?
1: Similar to the, the first house I bought where the bank jerked me around, a similar situation happened when I was looking at a building across from Potomac Yards. I saw it as having revenue, but the banks didn't because it was a month-to-month tenant but the month-to-month tenant had been there for three years. So the cash that I had um, to, to deploy on this deal wasn't enough. So I called one of my friends, Greg, and I said, hey, do you is this something you want to look at? And he kind of comes and he says, yeah, this looks good. Uh, do you mind if I get my other business partner and friend Keenan in? And Keenan lived in Alexandria, so I said, sure, why not? So we meet and hit it off, and, and it just kind of happened like that. And then the first deal... Um, so happened to be within a bigger coordinated development district that Blackstone and Stonebridge Cares was doing. So they started to go down that road of rezoning or 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 the process of a CDD, coordinated development district. And we just kind of showed up to the table to protect our height rights. Um, we spent some money on architecture to develop a plan for uh, a, a condo building, and that's when we were getting a lot of attention. So we decided we should probably start a company around that. And rather than it just say, you know, oh, Teddy, I heard you did this. You know, let's capitalize on that traction, especially what we just talked about, you know, dealing with um, smaller sellers or or kind of single asset sellers. You know, we could kind of create a name or a brand around that. So we decided to do that, and, and we've been in my opinion, successful in, in kind of focusing on areas around the Braddock Metro and helping to, to kind of steer them um, in line with what we see the small area plan.
0: Do you still live in Parker Gray?
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: I'm over on Pendleton. How has that area changed and how has it, how has it been, I guess, seeing that area of the city and the city in general change and also being... A player in that change occurring that must be an interesting dynamic for you having grown up here
1: yeah i mean sometimes i think of it that way i mean other times i'm just again just in that zone of doing the best that i can do i mean and, and when you come back into that place um you don't always see kind of that that progress as much as maybe an outside set of eyes you know, for me, it's just on a daily basis, on a situational basis, doing the best that I can do. But I have seen it, you know, become more dense. I mean, there's more density there, which, and to elaborate on your previous question a little bit more, I mean, yeah, there, there has been a small area plan there since the 90s. And, I mean, Metro is a great asset, assuming it's functioning properly. Um, you know, that's a great thing to just ride down into D.C., there, there has been a plan there, so it's been interesting to see, I guess, to answer your question, that pace kind of pick up over the past few years, especially over the past five compared to the previous 10. So I've been a resident there for, you know, 16 years now, and then it was kind of, oh, these bigger buildings were coming, but it, I don't know if it really felt like a community as much as it is now. You know, I, I think that's really starting to fill in. Like that—that that sense of hey, this is this unique part of town
0: happening. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the businesses that you're involved with, like Marlow Inc, Chop Shop Taco, Grateful Kitchen Company, Mason Social, which you're obviously not not as heavily involved with anymore, um, and the and the People's Drug, which I think has kind of become a a massive community hit and kind of a community institution. Um, a lot of these places have a very specific vibe or they bring a very specific energy to the neighborhood um do you feel like that kind of hip vibrant energy can coexist with alongside the historic character of old town and the i guess like main street feel of delray can those all coexist together
1: yeah absolutely i mean and, and to clarify i mean Marlowe inc and grateful those are tenants yeah that yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, I I don't have involvement in their business, and Mason Social, I don't have any involvement in the business anymore. You know, if you start to talk about the character of the the area that we're developing, I mean, there's a lot of history with the railroad. Um, You know, there's a lot of history with manufacturing or factories. I mean, the Belpré, if you look at their Juliet balcony rails, it's milk bottles, and that's something. If you go to Mason Social, in the back of it, um, Chad, Larry, and I, and Justin went to the library. On uh, and and found old images of what the Bell Milk Bottle Factory used to look like in 1904, and so those are actual pictures that that were archived at the Alexandria Library um, from the vantage point of Mason Social looking at that factory. So I think that's something we're kind of playing off of a little bit. Is is especially if you go into the space, Marlowe, especially how he's dressed it up. I mean, it's really um, honoring this you know, high ceilings, kind of, uh, in, it, at that time, industrial space. You know, if you look at the top of the building, there's a, a metal beam, and that's how they used to bring a lot of the goods upstairs, um, but brick floors and things like that. So where, where we can, we're trying to honor as much of the history as, as possible. So I think with it, you've also got kind of a, a new canvas to, to kind of bring in some more contemporary uses, you know, and I think that speaks to kind of Marlowe and Grateful. I mean, traveling to, you know, other countries all the time, I mean, the kind of cuisine that Grateful has, the kind of food offering that they have, I mean, is, it's very popular, you know, to eat healthy and vegan, and, I mean, they're doing an incredible job with their their dishes. I mean, delicious, you know, so you don't see that necessarily in other parts of the city i guess but in other parts of the world it's it's very popular so hey we've got this kind of new opportunity to to create a little part of our town our city to be a community with a unique identity it's really cool that we're bringing in these more contemporary uses i think
0: yeah do you get a sense from the the community in that area in Parker Gray do you get a sense from them how they've responded to these to these new sites you've made and as you as you said, the idea was to make some of the like especially with Mason Social to make it a community hub. Have you felt that it has become something akin to that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean I I, I definitely see that. I see that even in in, you know, Chop Shop Taco, for example. There's a, a happy hour coming up on the twentieth that deals with uh, the Capania Center and stuff like that. I mean, so people are obviously using and especially Mason, that was common for people to have community meetings. Um, the whole idea was to have a place that you could kind of connect with your neighbor a little bit deeper than just a, a stop and chat or something like that. You know, so you can actually go there, sit at the bar, sit at the table, you know, have some food or have a drink, and then all of a sudden strike up a conversation with somebody that actually lives near you. And what's unique about our area that we've talked about in the past that a lot, historically, when you go to King Street, you might meet somebody, but they don't live in Alexandria. You know, they 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 might just be passing through or from Annapolis or something like that. So here you're meeting people that are actually your neighbors. So you're actually creating, you know, new relationships that'll, that hopefully will bloom into something a lot,
0: a lot stronger than just a, a chance meeting. The idea of vibrancy has been something that's been brought up a lot, both, I think, in some of your work you're doing, but also some of the work the city's doing in general to kind of increased development the the flip side of that is that sometimes with vibrancy and bringing more people to the city or people from alexandria to different areas of alexandria it uh can impact the neighborhood in i think unexpected ways i'm talking about obviously the uh, something akin to the process of gentrification especially in an area like parker that has a historically black demographic and kind of black community uh that has made its home there. Um, how do you how do you view the work you do in the context of operating within a neighborhood with its own history and culture? I think you've talked a little bit about this already, the, the idea of making sure that those those buildings and those sites retain the memory of what they were before in, in some way. How do you how do you make sure that it I guess retains the vibe and the memory of the community as well? Or is that something that you consider?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're trying to create in terms of the businesses that we're involved in and also, you know, which tenants we're, we're talking to and trying to get in there. I mean, businesses and places that everybody can enjoy, Mm -hmm. you know? So when you talk about that from a, from a business standpoint, I mean, you talk about price point, you talk about, you know, we're not doing a, uh, you know, a, a caviar and champagne bar or something like this, you know, we're, we're trying to do something that's, Um, approachable for everybody, you know, and, and that could be, you know, the idea of gentrification or what you just mentioned, but it's, for me, it's more about also like, you know, the city workers and, you know, the uh, the TNES and all those guys that are all, you know, always out and about working hard and having a place that they can go and enjoy. And then having a place that, you know, the person that just walked back from the Metro before they go home, they want to kind of unwind a little bit. So, we're trying to create places and, and with our tenancy and the businesses that we're involved in, places that can be enjoyed by all and that aren't, you know, pushing the area in one direction. I mean, we're really trying to cater to what's there as it's happening.
0: Yeah, I guess to that point, I I kind of want to close this interview out with a question, actually not for myself, but from our last guest. This is something that we're, we're doing, kind of threading throughout all the episodes. So our first guest was Pat Miller. She she asked at the end of our interview with her, what makes community for you? So I guess you've sort of already started to address this, but what does make community for you?
1: Hmm. I mean, I think community for me is, you know, seeing where you live, where you stay um, as something bigger than just you know, the, the door that you open to get to your house. I mean, it's something where, you know, you, you've you got some connection with your neighbors, you, you, you've you got some um, common places, common spaces that, that you share with other people, um, and that connects you to kind of this collective consciousness um, of an area. I mean, if you get into it, you know, you're... You're drinking the same water, or you're, you're bathing in it at least, and you know you're um, smelling the same flowers, you're touching the same grass, you're touching the same concrete. So there's that that connectivity of it, and you can get into some deep science about it, you know, like uh, phantom molecules and all that stuff. But you y- you are inevitably exchanging so much, you know, information and energy with something bigger than you and that's that community
0: to continue this cycle of questions from guest to guest what is one question you would like to ask the next person who sits down for this podcast not knowing
1: who they are you know not having thought about it maybe why are you
0: doing what you're doing i appreciate you coming by teddy and speaking with us and thanks for listening alexandria see you next time